Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, my name is Monty Walden. Today I'm talking to Ian Daggeter about Sangiovese. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's good to talk about Sangiovese. Sangiovese is Italy's most widely planted red grape variety. What are its characteristics? It's not just Italy's most planted red grape variety. It is one of the world's 10 most planted grape varieties. It is found everywhere in this country from central to southern Italy. The characteristics are such that it's a late ripening variety and therefore cannot be grown in extremely cold places. And that's exactly why we don't have Sangiovese in Friuli or in Piedmont, while it's everywhere from Emilia-Romagna down south, so in Tuscany, in Puglia, in Sicily, in Sardinia. The main thing, it's a high-acid grape, and the acidity makes the tannins stand out more. A great Sangiovese wine is a balancing act whereby you have uh, dainty, refined, and graceful elements all combining together, and therefore, if the wine is not especially fruity and is not especially balanced, it can taste thin, tart, and tannic, which is a, you know, a rate-limiting step for people to appreciate it. But when it's done well, and when the wine is balanced, it really is one of the three or four or five greatest red wines in the world. So where are the top places for the Sangiovese grape in Italy? I'm not sure people are going to like me saying this, but if we're talking about true excellence, there are only two, maybe three, and they are Chianti Classico, and not all of Chianti Classico, Chianti Rufina, and Montalcino. In these three places, you can make, in my opinion, the world's greatest Sangiovese wines, but also some of Italy's and the world's greatest red wines. Sangiovese will adapt and will grow in many other places, but the wines are never as magnificent. They may be great wines, but they're not truly, truly outstanding as they are in these other three areas. So let's look at Chianti Classico first of all. Give me a brief outline of what is Chianti Classico and what is Sangiovese's role there? Chianti Classico is a small area located between Florence in the north, or shall we say in the northwest, and Siena in the southeast. It's a high uh, high altitude area. The vineyards can go as high as 500 meters or 1,800 feet above sea level. It's cold by definition. There will be snow there in January and February. But it is the area in the world where Sangiovese gives you the most graceful red wines that are born with this grape of anywhere. So when you say grace, you mean like a, a wine that's not um, particularly heavy, that's like a good, uh, we say a good luncheon wine, a good wine for lunch. These wines are sort of slightly crunchy. What was Gianti Classico's historic role? You mentioned Florence and Siena in the Trattoria in those two famous cities. Gianti Classico, by definition, is a very good luncheon wine, which is good. It's like a Valpolicella or uh, these wines that are lovely to drink with food. However, and this is one of the problems I think that Gianti Classico has, People fail to realize how truly great these red wines are. Chianti Classicos, when they're well-made, are some of Italy's longest-lived wines. I don't think people, even collectors out there, realize that a great Chianti Classico from 1967 or 1962 is still today a thing of beauty. These are some of the world's longest-lived, greatest red wines. that are wines of amazing grace and refinement that will often only have 12.5% alcohol, but are just aging marvelously well. And what's interesting is Chianti Classico was made with Sangiovese mainly, but back then in the 60s also had a few white grapes thrown, thrown in. The key thing here for people to realize is that Chianti Classico can give you a great lunch wine of 5 or $6, but the truly great Chianti Classicos are every bit as fantastic and as important as the greatest Bordeaux, the greatest Burgundies, the greatest Barolos, and the greatest Napa Cabernets and uh, Barossa Shirazes. They're just very different wines. Would you say that Chianti Classico is one of the world's most underrated wines because of its Sangiovese component? Yes, in my uh, opinion, 
And if you are talking about a truly great Chianti Classico, I think it's one of the five or six greatest red wines in the world. And I don't think people have had a chance to really realize that fully. Just just a little bit more detail about the terroir of Chianti Classico. You said it was cool, and but Sangiovese needs heat as well, right? So what did, how does what's the equation? I think it's all about balance, and this is why it's so hard. It's very much like Pinot Noir. It's hard to make a Pinot Noir that is truly world class. People tend to forget nowadays, because we've gotten better at it, that even as recently as the 1970s and 80s, there really weren't any great Pinot Noirs outside of Burgundy. Though people like to say there were, it's just not true. Great Pinot Noirs outside of Burgundy are really a thing of the last 15 years. We now have truly outstanding Pinot Noirs in uh, the Willamette Valley, for example, of Oregon, and central Otago and other places in New Zealand, believe it or not, even in Ontario and the uh, Niagara region. But that is only because men and women everywhere have mastered the grape. And it's true that Sangiovese is not there yet, and that's for a variety of reasons, because uh, we haven't studied Sangiovese as much. You need to realize that Sangiovese really began being studied in Italy only in, in, in 2000. It began, the first university studies began in the um, 1960s, but really uh, a full-blown effort was made in the late 1900s, early 2000s. So we really don't know that much about Sangiovese. Certainly we know less than, than we did with uh, Pinot Noir. So it's still a learning curve, still a learning process. And with time, I have no doubt we will be making good Sangioveses elsewhere. But like the greatest Burgundy, like the greatest Pinot Noirs are still today made in Burgundy, it will always be that the greatest Sangiovese wines are made in Chianti Classico and in uh, Montalcino especially. So the Chianti Classico region is between, you said, between Florence and Siena. That's quite a hilly, wooded area, right? It's, it is influenced by the sea, but not really directly because you've got the mountains. What effect does that have on the ripening? Does it ripen? Does Sangiovese ripen quickly there or slowly? What effect does that have on the aromas, the texture, the tannin? Well, no, actually, again, to get a great red wine, you need a long hang time and you need to have, uh, it's a bit more complicated than that, of course. I'm simplifying. But clearly, in Chianti Classico, you're not going to be picking grapes in August. And if you do, it must be a very hot year, like 2003, or you don't know what you're doing. And it's also a matter of the viticulture. But essentially, these grapes are going to be picked in October. In the old days, it used to be November. And what, you, what, ends, up, what ends up happening is the wines are uh, going to be marked by a remarkable acidity, but have enough fruit and enough structure to make that acidity balanced. And therefore, what you have is a very graceful mid-weight wine, which is characterized by penetrating aromas of uh, sour red cherries, red currants, violets, tea leaf, and licorice. As the wine will age, it will pick up notes of underbrush and tobacco. And it really is a very complex, very magical wine at that, with lovely, lovely acidity. So Chianti Classico, Chianti Rufina, Sangiovese wines from this area are the ultimate food wines. So what is the name, where does Sangiovese get its name from? Uh, Many, many, many theories, and nobody really knows for sure. Because of the mythical and the religious connotations of wine, people believe Sangiovese comes from the words of blood of Jupiter, which is sanguis Jovis in uh, in Latin. Other people has have to do with its um, origin at the top of the hills, the jogo, but. Uh, they've called saints into the, into the equation, but we don't really have a real, real origin of the name. In fact, some people believe that the real name of Sangiovese is Sangioveto, but not everybody agrees with that either. So it's up, up in the air right now. So you mentioned that Sangiovese is also known as Brunello when it's grown in the town or around the town of Montalcino, just to the south of the Chianti Classico region. Can you explain a little about uh, Sangiovese's role in uh, the famous Brunello wine? Well, Montalcino is really the op- is not the opposite, but it's a different expression of Sangiovese. 
gives you, and this is why it's so interesting, Cante Classico gives you the graceful, and I'm generalizing again, the graceful, more elegant version. Montalcino gives you a much more powerful wine. Again, that's very different because Montalcino is a hill with different exposures, so there's going to be different Montalcino type of wines. The Sangiovese in the Montalcino area, there apparently was a certain uh, a biotype, a type of uh, Sangiovese that looked brown, identified by the Biondi Santi family, that because of this brownish, rusty coloration was called Brunello from the Italian word Bruno, which means brown. Uh, it's very complicated because in reality, Montalcino, you had many, many different types of Sangiovese growing, like everywhere else in Italy. And we know for a fact now that, in fact, there were even Ciliagiolo grapevines all over Montalcino, what people used to call Brunellone, because the one ending in Italian means a bigger or, or fatso. And Ciliagiolo, if anybody has seen it, the name of the grape comes from the word Ciliegia, which means cherry, because the berries are very large and plump. So, in fact, there were different types of Sangiovese in Montalcino. I think everybody's used to the fact that there was one type of Sangiovese inherently linked to Montalcino. That, that is partly true, for sure, but there were other types of Sangiovese out there that just naturally adapted to what is a warmer, in general, area that gives you slightly larger scale, broader, richer, more luscious wines. So when you say Montalcino is a little bit more warmer climatically compared to Chianti Classico, is that because it's nearer the sea or is it because it's more open or is it because it's protected by the Yamayata Mountain? What, what's going on there? I think here, in this case, it should be me asking you since, no. uh, <laughs> since you're a recognized world expert on Montalcino wines. But to make it very simple, Montalcino is a hill that uh, reaches its highest point at about 561 meters above sea level. The northern exposure, or the northern side of the hill gives you wines that are in some ways remarkably similar to Chianti Classicos, but are always bigger and structured. The southern side is fascinating, I think, and it really has to be divided in about four different areas. We usually talk about two areas that are linked to two main towns, one being Castelnuovo de Labate, which is on the southeast side. Another one is Sant'Angelo in Colle, and a little bit to the south, Sant'Angelo Scalo. And uh, these are areas where you do have, especially the southwestern side, you do have the influence of the sea breezes coming from the sea coast, from the third coast, which really is only about an hour and a half away by car. And so those wines are going to be much richer, much more luscious, higher in alcohol, saltier and saline. And then you have places like, that I love, an area even more to the west called Camigliano. And there, those wines are downright savory and saline because they've got these marine winds coming in. In between the area of Castelnuovo de Labate and, and the Sant'Angelo area, uh, you have another area called Sesta, which no, is character. I love Sesta. I like, it's, honestly, I shouldn't say this, but it's my favorite area for yeah, Montalcino. Yeah, yeah, Everybody cool. talks about the northern side and Montozoli and things like that, but I love Sesta. And Sesta is a very complicated area because I think you can actually break down Sesta in at least three different areas. And there's just fantastic wine. Like and, mi- and, and very good producers. The mini Burgundy there, like every five meters or so changes. And I'm totally with you. Yeah, yeah, okay. My dream is to own a piece of land in Sesta. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, well, there's one for sale. Anyway. We, we, we'll talk about that another day. Okay, let's move out of Montalcino, which is probably is Italy's most expensive wine. Let's go a little bit further to the north, to the Romagna region. Tell me about Sangiovese di Romagna. Sangiovese wine from the area of Romagna. What's that all about? Well, there are some people who believe that Sangiovese actually originated in Romagna. So in reality, everybody talks about the superiority of Tuscan Sangiovese. But in fact, Emilia Romagna is today viewed as a source of, I hate to say cheap, but everyday quaffing red wines. That may be ungenerous because I think that um, there are some potentially great Romagna Sangiovese. Again, it's a little bit with Alianico, for example. I don't think the producers are quite at the same capacity level as in Montalcino. And that's, that's not to be offensive. It's just that in Montalcino, they've been making wines with economic means for, for a long time. Meaning they get paid much more than someone in Romagna is going to get paid for his, his or her Sangiovese, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like and ten you, times more. Uh, you know, yeah, so. you need to realize that makes a big 
difference because yeah. if you're in a state getting 10 times more, you're going to have more money to invest. Yeah, because the work is just the same, right? Yeah, pruning absolutely. and all the rest of the costs absolutely. the same, yeah. No, absolutely. And it's a shame, but that's you have to take that into consideration. Sangiovese Romagna, in my experience, are a little bit darker and a little bit more uh, oaky, but that may be just a function of the winemaking. Having said that, and I think this is important, uh, there are some biotypes, what people usually refer to as clones, of Sangiovese in Romagna that are exceptionally high quality. I'm thinking of something called Predapio, which actually has been planted in Tuscany. So I'm not sure that you can say that uh, Emilia-Romagna clones are, and when we say Emilia-Romagna, we really are referring to Romagna, the eastern part of, of the region. I think there's some very good Sangiovese there. I just don't know that the producers have yet gotten their act together fully, but the potential is really good. And I think there are some great wines there. Okay, final question. We're going to go and have some lunch. We're going to have a glass of Sangiovese. What are we going to eat with it? What's a perfect match? Well, we're going to eat with it, and I'm going to surprise you because I'll probably take a Chianti Rufina with me, which is the highest of all the Chiantis. It's uh, very high acid and very floral and fresh. I think, you know, anything that has to do with uh, a classic sandwich, and Chiantis were made to have with sandwiches, but actually it's, it's a perfect steak wine, you know. I mean, if you have a grilled steak and a Chianti Classico, it just works very, very well. It's easy, it's simple, but, you know, having said that, Chianti Classico, like Alpolicella, is a wine that, uh, like Nebbiolo, just a great everyday table wine. You just have about everything with it, from soups, a nice hearty bean soup, a stew. It, it just works very well. That high acidity just cleanses through. There's lots of flavor. I love the minerality of the wines, and they really blend well with a lot of meat dishes and vegetable dishes. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned uh, Rufino. That's the coolest part of the Chianti zone, which, as you said earlier on, is the coolest kind of part of Tuscany, if effectively, for the Sangiovese grape. Do you think Sangiovese is one of these grapes like Pinot Noir that, to get the best out of it, needs to be living absolutely on the edge? Oh, totally. I really believe that. And in fact, even in the Rufino area, there's differences in the Rufino area. If you go down south around the town of Pelago, you have much richer, bigger wines that are actually similar to the Montalcino wines. If you go up north towards a town called Di Comano, it's really like mountain viticulture. And those wines taste like Pinot Noir. Now, if I didn't have so much trust in my fellow producers, I'd swear they're dumping Pinot Noir in those vats because it's remarkable how the wine reminds you of Pinot Noir. But it's it's fantastic wine. It's graceful, it's light, it's beautiful, and very perfumed. And I think that people, there's only about 25 producers of Chianti Rufina, so that's a wine that I really would recommend people trying. Like like the Chianti Classicos and like the Brunello Montalcinos. They're some of Italy's greatest, greatest, greatest red wines. And I think people just have to get to, to know them by trying them and trying them and finding the producers they like. Ian, thanks very much for explaining the intricacies of Italy's most planted grape, the Sangiovese, and hopefully talk to you again soon. Always a pleasure and I'm ready to go when you are. Follow us at Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook.